Awesome. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Mark chapter 6. For those of you who I have not met yet, my name is David and I'm the group's pastor here. Happy New Year to everybody. I hope your new year has indeed started off well. And as Pierce was saying, let's say something that we're thankful for. I'm thankful that 10 hours into the new year, 11 hours and 30 minutes into the new year, we are gathered together as the family of God, praising God together through song, praising God together through the study of his word. And this morning, we are actually starting a new sermon series that we're just calling Deeper. See, for uh, 2023, there's really one direction that we're calling you to go in your relationship with Christ, and, and that's deeper. We've got some exciting things coming up, like Pierce was talking about. We've got breakthrough. We've got some exciting initiatives and life groups that we're going to be rolling out. And really, it's all to equip and inspire you to go deeper in your relationship with Christ. And that's really why, actually, we're in Mark chapter 6 this morning and why I want to get to it rather quickly because the pull of this text is toward the deeper things of God. There's a question that's embedded into this text that really serves as an invitation, where if we're willing to, to sit with it a little bit, if we're willing to wrestle with what it's telling us, it really will draw us into the deeper things of God. And so before we read the word of God together, let's talk to the God who wrote the word and ask him to help us understand it and be transformed by it. Father, we love you. And we love your word. Your people in here need to hear from you. They don't need to hear from a young man. They need to hear from an eternal God. And so today I'm asking that you would do what your word says it will do. That it would cut deep to bone, cut deep to marrow. And that you would change us and transform us by the power of your word. Be with Trace as he preaches down south. Give him courage, give him strength as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this is Mark 6, starting in verse 35. It'll be on the screen if you don't have one. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. I think that outside of the resurrection of Jesus, this is probably the most famous miracle in, in all the Bible. It's the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. Undoubtedly, more flannel graphs have been cut out and more VeggieTale videos have been created about Jesus feeding the 5,000 than probably about any other miracle you could think of. And I'd say for good reason, too. Because if you just hear the claim of this text, it's, it's quite unimaginable. From... Five loaves and two fish came a meal for 5,000 people, probably closer to 15, 20,000 if you include the women and you include the children. Oh, and with some leftovers as well. It's, it's quite unbelievable when you read it. But here's the thing. If you kind of take a, a step back and look at what Jesus has been doing for the past six chapters in the book of Mark, 
He really has been doing quite a bit of what we may call unbelievable things. So in Mark chapter one, what you see is Jesus healing people from all sorts of diseases. Mark chapter four, he's out on the water with his disciples and the storm comes up and he literally tells the storm to stop storming and it listens. Mark chapter five, it shows he has authority over demons. And then in the very next story, he literally raises a girl from the dead, almost like he's waking her up from an afternoon nap. When you read the, the gospel of Mark from, from chapter one and to where we get to where we are in chapter six now, you kind of get the feeling that you know, something's up. This isn't a normal person because normal people don't do these things. And if we read more into the next scene, we're gonna find out that Jesus is actually anything but normal. Check this out, this is verse 47. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he, this is Jesus, was alone on the land and he saw that they were making painful headway for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the seas. He meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they saw it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. This scene on the water is a clue for who Jesus really is. It's subtle, but when you see it, it's absolutely paradigm altering. And look back at what Jesus said. He says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Those three words in the middle, if you're into highlighting stuff or underlining stuff in your Bible, that would be something to highlight or, or underline. Those three words in the middle, it is I, are what theologians call an explanatory clause. What it does is it gives the reason to take heart and do not be afraid. Like Jesus, why should we take heart? Why should we not be afraid? Here's the reason, it is I. It is I, um, the Greek words, the Greek phrase is ego I me. The literal word for word translation here is I am. Jesus says, you can kind of read it this way if you really wanna interpret it for what he's saying. He's saying, do not be afraid, take heart. Here's why I am. Now, our Old Testament sirens should be going off at about a 10 right now because Jesus just dropped a bomb. Exodus chapter three, Moses is at the burning bush. God's telling him, you're going back to Egypt. You're gonna tell Pharaoh, it's, you gotta let the people go. And right when Moses is about to leave to go back to Egypt, he turns around and he asks God, well, when the people ask, who should I say sent me? Exodus chapter three, verse 14, will be on the screen. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people, I am. Ego, I me, I am has sent me to you. Listen, I am is more than just a name. When God says to Moses, tell them I am has sent you, what he's telling him is this, you can't relate to me like any other person. I am beyond description, I am beyond categories. You don't know where I came from, you don't know where I'm going or how I came to be, just I am. And so if we come back to Mark chapter six, we read Jesus, the one who multiplied loaves, multiplied the fish. He tells them, take heart, do not be afraid. I am, put all this together and the person walking on the water is God himself. 
Now here's how the scene concludes. This is verse 51. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Key in on that phrase, for they did not understand about the loaves. Um, They didn't get it yet. My friends, if deeper is to be our destination for 2023, if deeper is to be the direction where we're gonna be going together in 2023, then I think the first question that we need to ask ourselves is this, do we understand about the loaves? Do we understand what Jesus did with those five loaves? They didn't get it. Do we get it? Do we understand the significance of what Jesus did? Do we understand the size of what Jesus did with those five loaves? Let me put it this way. What this text is asking every single person in this room right now is simply this. How big is your God? It's a simple question, but it's an honest question. 11 hours and 38 minutes into 2023, the question that I want you to think about when you're thinking about resolutions, when you're thinking about goals, when you're thinking about what you want this year to be, I just want you to come face to face with the question of how big is your God? Because I'm telling you, when you wrestle with that, when you sit with that, it's going to determine everything about you. I've got two points for us. They serve kind of as directional markers into the deep, if you would. Um, If you wanna go deeper with God, wanna start this year off going deeper with God, first thing that we're gonna do, first thing we're gonna do is look deeper at the incomprehensible power of God. We're gonna look deeper at the incomprehensible power of God. So here's what's behind that first point. If I could just be straight with you, I've heard these two stories since I was in preschool Sunday school. And I'm betting that you, whether you've spent time in church or whether you've not spent any time in church at all, you're at least familiar with these stories. But it's been my understanding in my experience that we as the North American church, we really don't believe them. I mean, of course, theologically we would say, well, I, I believe the Bible. Yes, I believe Jesus multiplied five loaves. Of course, I believe he, he walked on water. Absolutely, I, I believe that. But I don't know if we actually believe it because we're so familiar with what these stories are telling us so often we may really take for granted the absolute craziness of what Jesus did with a loaf of bread. I mean, the weight of the text here, think, think about this. What he said is that from five loaves and two fish came a meal for 5,000 people. That's crazy. I mean, do we remember our seventh grade science class? Do we remember this? The law of conservation of matter says that what? In our realm of time and space, matter cannot be what? It cannot be created nor destroyed. Thank you very much. Can't happen. I have this loaf of bread in my hand. From this loaf of bread cannot come two loaves of bread. And yet that is exactly what this text is telling us Jesus is doing. Don't sleep on that. Feel the weight of the supernatural here. But it's even bigger when you start pulling on it. 
Because you flip over a few pages in Colossians 1.16, the apostle Paul's gonna tell us something even bigger. He says that not only Jesus created the bread, not only did he create the fish, but he created everything that we see. And here's one more thing. He holds it all together by the power of his word. So enter into this thought experiment with me. Um, If we were to go out to West Texas um, in the darkest of night skies, no light pollution, no nothing, we're able just to look up and see as many stars as we possibly can. How many stars do you think we'd see? Close. (laughs) 9,096 stars. Someone actually counted this. Like you can actually see 9,096 stars. That's the maximum amount of stars that you can see from earth. A lot of stars. Not that many though, when you consider that astronomers tell us that there are an estimated number of three septillion stars in the universe. That's a three with 24 zeros behind it. It's 3,000 billion trillion is what they would say for you non-math people in here. (laughs) I'm not a math person either, so we're in this together. And I get confused whenever I hear numbers like millions and billions and and trillions. My liberal arts brain can just not really comprehend that sort of thing. And so think of it in terms of seconds. How many seconds ago do you think a million seconds was? Yesterday? Two days ago? 11 days ago. How about a billion seconds? How long ago do you think a billion seconds was? 31 years and eight months ago. What were you doing a billion seconds ago? Some of you can't remember what you were doing a billion seconds ago because there was no you to speak of. A billion seconds ago was 1991. VHS tapes were still a thing and the Game Boy was the pinnacle of technological innovation. About a trillion seconds ago. Century back, a couple centuries back. A trillion seconds ago was 29,679 BC. Now think about the fact that there are over 3,000 billion trillion stars in the universe. Each one of those stars putting out enough energy every second that would equal the force of a trillion atomic bombs going off. And I think about the vastness of space. And I think about the God who created that in a single word, in a single moment. All those stars, the 9,096 that I can see and then the three septillion that I can't see coming to this earth, multiplying bread, multiplying fish. Y'all, there's no words for that kind of incomprehensible power. Charles Meisner said this. He was a student of Albert Einstein's. I thought it was interesting what he had to say about Einstein. He said, the universe is very magnificent and shouldn't be taken for granted. In fact, I believe that's why Einstein had so little use for organized religion. Although he struck me as a very religious man, he must have looked at what the preachers said about God and felt that they were blaspheming. He had seen more majesty and wonder than they had ever imagined. And they were just not talking about the real thing. My guess is that he simply felt the religions he'd run across did not have the proper respect for the author of the universe. And I wonder 
if many of us in here, myself included, need to regain a proper respect for the author of the universe where we sit and we consider the size of our God, the incomprehensible power of our God. We don't get on our phone and just start swiping. We don't move on to the next thing, but we just sit there with it and we consider it just how awesome God is and just how small we are. My friends, how big is your God? Because here's what's gonna happen when you start to consider this. You're gonna be able to face any situation you find yourself in in 2023 with total confidence. Because at some point this year, you're gonna find yourself out on the wind and the waves. You're gonna be battling the wind and the waves. You're gonna get scared and you're gonna think you're gonna see a ghost, metaphorically speaking. And you're not gonna know what to do. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've come in here and you're just overwhelmed by some anxiety. Maybe you're overwhelmed by some fear. Maybe you're overwhelmed by just some inadequacy that's coming toward you. And I have good, good, good news for you. The first part of going deeper with God is understanding that your inadequacy is a prerequisite to see God move in your life. It's understanding just how small you are, just how weak you really are and seeing just how great and mighty God actually is. Today, tomorrow, a month from now, you're gonna feel like you're rowing against the wind and the waves, but hear me on this, getting a sense for how big God is means that regardless of what you're facing, the God who created all three septillion stars in the universe has stepped into your boat and he is the great I am. And he is larger, he is more capable, and he is more willing to help you than you have ever imagined. Pastor friend told me this one time. He said that for every single but I can't that we could ever think of, God answers back with an even more thunderous I am. I don't know what to do. I am. My marriage is an absolute train wreck. I am. My kids won't talk to me anymore. I am. I need a drink, I am. We can't get pregnant, I am. I am so alone, I am. Y'all, you wanna go deeper with God this year? You've got to get your eyes off of yourself and onto the great I am. Because he, Jesus didn't step into the disciples' boat and he sure doesn't step into yours to just lend a helping hand. He comes as the incomprehensibly powerful great I am. He wasn't limited by their ability and he's sure not gonna be limited by yours. And that's not a pep talk, that's the gospel. You feel inadequate today? I've got good news for you, you are. But he isn't. Which leads right into the the second thing. If you wanna go deeper with God, look deeper at the indescribable love of God. You remember what Jesus said about the bread? He said, "Uh, I am the bread of life, John 6, 48. It's the very next day uh, and the people have come back looking for something to eat. And basically what Jesus tells them is that guys, it was never about multiplying the bread. It was about showing you that I'm the bread of life. 
See, what you gotta know about Jesus's miracles, um, they're also called signs. And the reason they were called signs is they were meant to point to something that was far greater than what he was doing. Um, Jesus didn't go around, you know, doing magic tricks. He, he didn't go around like guessing people's cards or pulling rabbits out of hats. Like uh, Jesus, prove you're the son of God. He, David Blaine levitates like 10 feet or catches a bullet in his teeth. That's not what his miracles were about. That would have shown he had power but it wasn't ultimately showing the reason why he was doing those miracles. His miracles were always meant to be signs of something greater. That's why he gave sight to the blind. Why? Because Jesus is about sight, not blindness. He healed people because Jesus is about health, not sickness. He cast demons out of people. Why? Because Jesus is about freedom, not torment. He raised people from the dead. Why? Because he's about everlasting life, not death. That's why we can say that multiplying the bread and multiplying the fish, it was never about carbs and calories. It was ultimately about the cross. It wasn't about a temporary filling for your stomach. It was about an eternal filling from the Savior. Look back in verse 41. Taking the loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves. That's just subtle, but it's here. And you've got to see it. When you see it, it, it it's, it's wild. There's two verbs there, bless and broke. He blessed them and then he broke the bread. Mark 14, 22, you flip over a few pages and you find this at the Lord's Supper. He's on the night before Jesus is about to die and, and here's what he says at the Lord's Supper. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. Same two verbs in the exact same order, bless and broke. Again, it was never about carbs and calories it was ultimately about the cross. Because the very next day on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them. And then he died. Put it another way, he looked down at the people who were killing him and he blessed them. And then he broke. Think about this. If, if you have this loaf of bread right here, if it stays whole, you can't eat it. And what happens if you can't eat? You starve. You'll die. You will literally go to pieces. To eat this bread, to be filled up by this bread, the bread has to be broken into pieces. See? See? It's either you or the bread. Either the bread is in pieces or you're in pieces. And remember what Jesus said? I am the bread of life. What he was saying is that I was torn to pieces so that you could be whole. I went to the cross. I absorbed judgment. I absorbed the punishment. I absorbed sin. I took it all. I was torn to pieces so that you could be whole.
My friends, you want to go deeper? You want to get drawn deeper in your relationship with Christ? Look at the incomprehensible power of God, absolutely. Look at the stars, look at the miracle. But don't you ever forget to look at the cross. Because the Son of God, the incomprehensibly powerful creator of the universe, being broken for you, that's what draws you deeper. That's the kind of deep love that draws you even deeper. I'm telling you, the first time that I experienced this, very first time, was when my oldest son, Luke, was born. You guys who have been in the room, you, you know this. It's, it's, a little, it's a little crazy in there. It's, it's a little wild, a little nuts in that delivery room. Um, everything's just wild. Then all of a sudden, it's this little silence, and you hear the cries. And they take this little baby, and they, they clean him up, and they, they wrap him up, and they give him to you. And you're just holding them right there. And you're just overwhelmed by love because you can't fathom the fact of how much you love somebody who you've only known for like 30 seconds. I mean, I love my wife more than anything else on this earth. But that's a different type of love. When you're holding, Reese knows what I'm talking about. He was just there. Like if anybody messed with that little baby, you would rip them apart with your bare hands. And I remember when we got to the hospital, got in that room and I sat down with him, I'm looking at him and this thought popped in my head, I'll never forget it. If this is how much as a father I love my son, how much more does God love me as his? That's what draws you deeper. It's the love of Christ toward you. Why didn't the disciples understand the loaves? Why were there? Did they not really get it? Verse 52, their hearts were hardened. My friends, the antidote to a hardened heart is the love of Christ toward you. When you see the God of the universe coming and living the life that you should have lived, dying the death that you could not die, rising again and then calling you into his family as his son, as his daughter, that's when your heart sings with the old hymn, Lord, now indeed I find thy power in thine alone can change the leper spots, melt the heart of stone. So how big is your God? Is he incomprehensibly powerful? Is he the living embodiment of love? Because I'm telling you, when you can answer that question with those two answers, what's gonna happen is that yes, you're gonna be able to face any situation you find yourselves in in 2023, but here's one more for the road. You're actually gonna grow in the Christian life. See, I wonder if there's some of us in here today where the temptation is that we say, yeah, I know about Jesus. I've walked with Jesus for a little while now. You know, I've read the Bible a little bit. I, I've even told some people about him. And yet, if we were to be honest with ourselves, there's still some sin, there's still some worry, there's still some, some, some dysfunction that's going on in here. 
I think the reason, a la Ephesians 3, why some of that stuff still sticks around in us is that we often substitute the work that we feel we have to do for Christ instead of the unsearchable riches that we have in Christ. Listen, growth in Christ is always just that. It's growth in Christ. Growth in Christ does not come from a list of do's or don'ts. It doesn't come from practical advice from a guy like me. It comes from being overwhelmed by the size of Christ and his gospel. Listen, he who needs to hear this, hear this. I love practicality. I'm all for practicality. Big fan of practicality. And learning five steps to being a better husband is awesome. But it is not nearly as important as being overwhelmed by the 10 billion steps that Jesus took to get you when he came to rescue you. The power to change your life does not come from you. The power to change your marriage does not come from you. The power to to do this life does not come from you. It comes from God. And it's by looking at the cross. It's by looking at the God who gave himself for you on the cross where you actually have the power to change and grow in the Christian life. So the invitation. Look. That's been the word that has been in every single one of our points. Just look. Look at the stars. Go outside tonight. Look at the stars. Look at the incomprehensible power of the God who created all three septillion stars and just be overwhelmed by it. Look at the cross. Look at the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise God who came to this earth to die for you. But just look. Because my friends, going deeper with God always begins with a look. Story goes, about 200 years ago, Charles Spurgeon got waylaid in a snowstorm and he took refuge in a small Methodist chapel. He recalled in his journal that the preacher was making a plain spoken appeal from Isaiah 45. Unto me all the earth and be ye saved. Spurgeon would write that the preacher was not that great. Uh, He uh, judged him actually to be a a cobbler or a, a tailor of something of that nature. But Spurgeon always remembered the invitation that changed his life. Here's what the invitation was of that simple country preacher. He said this, now look and don't take a great deal of pains. Ain't lifting your foot or your finger, it's just look. Well, a man need not go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool and yet you can look. A man need not be worth a thousand a year to be able to look. Anyone can look, even a child can look. That cold Sunday morning, Charles Spurgeon's life was forever changed because he looked at Jesus for the first time and he saw him. Y'all, sometimes we're so busy fighting against the wind and the waves that we forget to look at the power of God. We forget to look at the size of God. We forget to look at the love of God. And so we never quite see him. And some of us in here for the past few years that we had, we've had, 
just looking is really all the energy that we have to do. And yet, as that country preacher reminded us, any old fool can pick up his head and look. I'm excited to go deeper with you guys in 2023. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your word and I pray that you would allow us to look. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Not on our situations, not on our circumstances, not on the wind, not on the waves, but ultimately on you. We don't know what to do, as the people said, and yet our eyes are fixed on you. Help us to look as we go deeper in Christ together. In Jesus' name, and by the Spirit, amen.